honest and open question. Finding the heart we have lost. You are listening to the This Is Not Church podcast. Here is John and Nat Turney. Welcome everybody back to This Is Not Church podcast. This is me, John Turney, and I'm here with my brother Nat. Say hi, Nat. Hi, Nat. <laughs> okay, that's going to be the last time we're not going to do that. It's, it's, we're, we're like three episodes in and that's yeah, already old. Stop yeah, doing that. Okay, we're going to stop doing that. <laughs> but we are, uh, we are joined today with uh, our good friend Carl Forehand. Uh, Carl Forehand is a former pastor. He's a podcaster and award-winning author. His books include Apparent Faith, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart, and the book The Tea Shop. He also has another book coming out uh, soon, I believe, called... Um, being. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot the name of your book. That's right. <laughs> the creator wow. Major of faux the, pas. Yeah, really. He is the creator of the <laughs> Desert Sanctuary and, and Too Many Podcasters podcast. He is married to his wife, Laura, of 32 years and has one dog named Winston. I believe it's Winston the Wonder Dog, isn't it? And uh, his, his three yeah, children are grown. What's that? That's one of his titles. <laughs> when, he's in trouble, oh, yeah. when he's in trouble, Laura calls him Winston Nathaniel. Oh, oh, that is my brother's whole oh. name. Yeah. That sounds like super formal, like like stuff's going down, yeah. man. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> uh, his three children are grown and are being are beginning to multiply. So my brother wow. started doing this, and I'm going to keep it going. So that's your bio, and I'm going to now drop a little bit of a, a bio that I have about Carl. Uh, we have never met personally. This is actually the first time I think we've actually even seen each other. I think we tried once. Mm-hmm. I tried to come into one of your... Um, uh, contemplative uh, Zoom meetings one, oh, okay. one day. Yeah. That was back when I was, uh, I live out in the middle of nowhere and we had horrible internet, but we have since joined the 21st century and uh, have some decent internet now. So um, what what can I say about Carl is uh, he is probably one of the most authentic people I have ever met online. Uh, he hmm. says what he says and he means what he means. Uh, I mean, there's a Everything behind him comes from a heart of wanting to help people, want to love one another, and find a deeper and truer meaning to the divine or God or the universe, whatever you want to call it. And he's accepting uh, of everybody. And um, I just, I, I'm just thankful that I've got the chance to meet you and um, and that we've got to know each other. So welcome to the podcast, Carl. Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, you mentioned authentic. I do. I have a tattoo on my arm. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, heretic. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I see it. Get around. But, yeah, but it is Chinese characters, and that's exactly what it means: is authentic or real mm-hmm. in uh, nice. Chinese. Okay. My son's in Taiwan, so that helps me remember him. But it also helps me remember for the second half of my life to be authentic. Okay, so, yeah. Awesome. Great compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, uh, not at all. So um, I just want to kind of jump right into uh, what we have going on here. And uh, one of the questions I had for you, just to start out with, so people can get to know who who you are and a little bit of your background. Uh, like you said in your bio, you were a pastor uh, for quite a while, um, and you know, kind of going with the, the title of our of our podcast, which is "This Is Not Church." One of the questions we ask sometimes is so. You're, you're no longer a pastor. You're no longer part of a church. What, you know, what, what drove you to make that decision to kind of step away and kind of walk away from church? Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird, really. I, 
you know, I think I've always, you know, focused on love and mercy and grace and, and things like that. And I, I shied away from legalism and, and I always kind of, kind of went that way. But, um, several years ago, I found myself in the pulpit saying things like, um, maybe we should ask some questions, you know, and maybe it's all right to question our faith. And, could, you know, if God's God, he can handle that. And, and I, I just found myself for, for one thing, like, I don't know if you remember when the, the uh, issue came up about baking a cake for a homosexual couple yeah. on the wedding. Oh, I remember that issue came up and I, I didn't necessarily take a side, but I, I wrestled with that in the pulpit and just said, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, what are the sides of that issue and can we consider it? And when at the end of the, the sermon, I said, I think I'd bake the cake, you know, and, and most people didn't react to that, but a couple of people's heads kind of started spinning around and turning red. <laughs> um, you, you know, and I realized that, that um, you know, not only does, does church kind of have a narrow view sometimes or a, a confined belief system, um, but it's also very committed to that and very afraid of going outside um, the norm or or what their accepted beliefs are. Yeah. And so um, it it just kind of continued like that. And I began to, began to privately kind of question my beliefs. And then I remember walking with Laura one day and just saying to myself, I can't do it anymore. You know, I can't. Um, stand, you know, stand up in front of people and and not know for sure where where I'm at, you know. And <clears throat> so, uh, and needless to say, you know, when we when I started doing yoga and meditation and some things like that, some people got really excited in my tradition. <laughs> and um, it's not that the, denom the denominational leaders kind of begged me to stay because I was a pretty good church planter. I, I knew how to fit into a community and mold to that community. And I, we revitalized three churches and um, that are probably still doing well today. They didn't want me to leave, but I knew <clears throat> it would be a struggle with the people, you know, and that we would be arguing a lot. And so I just decided to step down. <clears throat> you guys mentioned Brian Zahn. We went to Brian Zahn's church for a couple of years and kind of faded yeah. into the background um, <laughs> and didn't do, you know, didn't do hardly anything there. Um, but eventually this just, there was too many triggers, too much um, trauma, I think, yeah. from small town ministry. And... Um, we just needed to get away. So we we kind of, we came to a little Methodist church here that's right next door to our house, and tried that, but it still was too many triggers. And so I think about a year ago, we just we just totally stepped down from church, and and uh, so far it's working for us. Yeah, I, I don't condemn anybody that that is still in the church, like. Nate, Nat, Nate, Nat, no, Nat. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I answer to whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, there's no. Oh, there is a name down there. I see it. Okay, <laughs> um, I know your name. 
Um, yeah, we don't condemn anybody for what they're doing or what they feel is right. Um, but like you said, if I'm authentic, sometimes I express my opinion and, and we, what we're finding is that there's a lot, a lot of people out here, we call it the desert outside, you know, kind of out on the out. I think of the desert mothers and fathers and how they kind of migrated outside town and outside where normal religion was. And there's just a lot more people out here. And every day, you know, I think I saw Beth Moore the other day, too. <laughs> <Wandering> <laughs> she's in somebody. the desert with you? Yeah, she's definitely. Yeah, well, I think she's beginning to wander. I think I saw her somewhere. She had a big crowd around her. Oh, you actually visited? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's it, kind of. All right. Um, hey, can you can you talk about... Um, um, Talk about some of the, I mean, I don't want to dig too deep unless we'll go as deep as you want to go, but um, some of the trauma that is associated with that, this, I mean, what kinds of things do you, um, do you wrestle with? I, I know I had some spiritual PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. I know I suffered some loss as I left churches and questioned some things that, has that been your experience as well to some degree? Yeah, I think, you know, and then uh, before we got on the air, I started talking about this little book that Laura and I wrote together to kind of describe some of our experiences with church. And we talked about, when we started talking about what's the condition of the church, we talked about several instances, you know, that we had pastor in a church that were really more traumatic for Laura. Um, We went to a dance one time and just got ate up about, you know, that, that we went to a dance and slow dance together um, from certain families, you know, there, there were things like that. Um, but I, I tell you, I think what the biggest thing is, is, is a thing that's kind of hard to identify. And Matt, you may be able to identify since you're inside the church still. Um, Sarah Bessie said, um, church um, doesn't have room for my grief. Mm, that's true. Um, and one of the things we talked about in that, that little ebook is we talked about 70 to 80 percent of 70, 75 percent of the money goes to the path, pastor and staff and the building um, to putting on the show on Sunday uh, and so on. There's very little money left over for programs and especially for mental health counseling. And um, the person that probably needs as much as anybody is the pastor. And sure. the, big, the big saying is, who's who's he going to tell? You know, who can he tell his problems to? The pastor's wife is probably even more exclusive to that. And several times my wife um, found a best friend, beat the odds inside the church, found a best friend. And then when, when political um, doctrinal issues didn't go their way, the women were the most subversive. And cut her off. And and all of a sudden, she didn't have a best friend anymore. And and those kind of things are traumatic. But I I think what's also common, and again, I'm not trying to bash religion. I'm just trying to say as best I can tell, this is how it is. But we, like Sarah said, we don't have time for the grief. So um, we do what some people call spiritual bypassing. So let's say you have an issue, you're struggling, 
people in small, even in small groups and in intimate small groups, they'll tend to want to bypass over those issues. Right. They'll, they'll want to have a quick catchphrase for it or a quick solution or a just trusting God kind of mantra, you know, and some of those things just bypass over the trauma. Right. And, and then uh, people that are traumatized, that are hurt, hurt people, hurt other people. For and, sure. and it ends up kind of, I think, kind of compounding um, within the church. And so we don't ever really get well. We don't get, you know, we don't spend as much time as we should. Uh, I posted a meme the other day that was supposed to be provocative. But it said, just if you're going to start a church, if you're going to go back after COVID and start your church back up before you build a coffee shop, hire a counselor. <laughs> Hire mm -hmm. a real therapist to deal Agreed. with people's people's crap, you know, and uh, we all have trauma, I think. For sure. We all have trauma. No, I think you're right. And uh, it's interesting because that, that, that this topic has come up a, a number of times already, which is great. Um, uh, we had Michelle Collins on. Mm -hmm. um, she's pursuing a PhD in psychology and she's yeah. brilliant and she's got her, she's got some unique insights. And we mentioned that. Um, the notion of Christian counseling usually raises my hackles, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. where, where pastors somehow feel um, qualified and equipped to take on, on the role of mental health provider and they're stupidly unqualified, mm -hmm. like, and, and, and arrogantly unaware of that. Right. And so they, 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 they decide they're going to try and give advice mm -hmm. and what they end up with is cliche and they end up with stuff that's pat or glib. Um, and well, so I'll, I'll tell you this, that when we planted the church that we're in right now, um, my, my second phone call was to a friend who's a social worker and a, and a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, can I send people your way? Yeah. Like if we have issues, I am not equipped to handle these things and I'm not going to just pass them off and call mm -hmm. all of their stuff spiritual when right. they might need a mental health professional. Um, right. pastors have got to, have got to come to grips with knowing their limitations Yeah, and, and I don't dismiss, you know, at all. I don't dismiss a spiritual side to some of that, you know, or a spiritual yeah. component. But I, the other thing that you mentioned about grief is so interesting because Brad um, Jersak was with us the other day and we talked a little bit about that. And both he and I have a, a moment of breaking for us that was centered around um, how we were handled, how we either personally were handling grief or the disconnect of other people handling grief. Yeah. And and the role that the church almost tries to force us into playing where we need to remain faithful and optimistic and hopeful at all times. And we can never even admit that we are just yeah. crushed. Right. And so right. talk about that from your experience. I mean, how, how, how have we missed this? You know, what, what is, what is this compulsion to put on a, a brave face, even though we're, you know, falling apart on the inside? Well, I'm going to try and hopefully I'm, I don't just talk in a circle. If I do, you have the right to call me out. And say, hey, it's all good, man. I like circles. They're fine. <laughs> so, um, in the Being book, the book that's getting ready to be released in April, um, and John said you've read part of it. Um, when I went through this traumatic experience, what I what I came to realize was um, something called shadow, and I'm mm -hmm. not a mental health professional either. But during this healing process, I, 
went through about a year of spiritual direction training, which sounds like what we were talking about that's not so good before, but it's different. Right. That um, spiritual directors um, tend to focus on on how you feel and they listen mainly is, is what they do. They listen because one of the things most or I would say all of us have is a shadow and shadow is the things that we don't want to deal with or we weren't equipped to deal with. So when you're younger, if you had some trauma, you push that down, you don't deal with it. Andy Jean Gillen says, what is not felt remains the same, but what is felt changes. So when we feel that, but think about what you're taught, especially in Christian religion or most religions, um, you're taught not to trust your feelings that that you can't you can't go there because you can't trust your feelings um right and so um when we come up to those difficult things we don't have an answer we push that down well my friend says it's like a beach ball and and you're trying to keep it underwater and then it comes out right so when something triggers you like something did to me two and a half years ago um the story I talk about in being, um, it, it it was like every piece of trauma came out at the same time. And um, I thought I was not going to be married anymore. I thought, you know, my it was one of the few times I thought about killing myself. Um, it was that um, disparaging. Um, because all of these things that I didn't know how to deal with because I didn't want to feel them. I didn't want to face that, you know, shadow sounds like darkness and darkness is bad. We don't talk, we don't want to face the dark, right? And and all of, you know, part of that's my family of origin, part of it's my religion, part of it's the place I grew up and, and all those things, you know, we spent here in Texas, we spent time in Dallas, Fort Worth and uh, it's, you know, being tough and all of those kind of things. And some of those things, you know, the first part of your life are necessary to a certain degree. You know, we've got to be tough. We've got to push through some things. But eventually it's going to catch up with you. Right, right, and, right. And being sounds like a good book. It sounds like, man, that's where I want to be. Because the subtitle <laughs> is Pursuing um, the Words You Already Mentioned, Authenticity and Presence. Who wouldn't want that, Right. right. Right, but right. I'm going to tell you, you can't get there without doing the work. Right, it, you can't you can't get there um, without facing your shadow. Well, um, hard work. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know you said this. And I'm just trying to remember if it was in this if, if it was in this book or in one of your other books. You you talk about this idea of pushing down that pain, right? Pushing down that that shame, and you keep pushing it down. And you keep pushing it down, and you. I, I believe I'm paraphrasing you. But I believe something you said was, yeah, but at some point it's going to come out, right? Mm-hmm. And it's either going to come out the way you you kind of direct it or it's just going to come out sideways. Yeah. And, it's, and, you, aren't in, and you aren't in control of that when it comes out sideways. Mm-hmm. You're not. And that's, I, I, I kind of think that's what you were talking about in that situation, yeah. right? Robert August, I learned a lot from Robert Augustus Masters, who has a book called Spiritual Bypassing First. Then he also has a book called uh, Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark. Okay. And he says, um, when your shadow uh, comes out involuntarily, it comes out, it misbehaves, is the word he uses. Right. But yeah, I, 
Laura and I always say it comes out sideways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Happened last night, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Both of us had a hard day at work, you know, and we were having a normal conversation and just blew up at each other. But right. there's, there's some, there's some, uh, some stuff down there right. yeah. in the past, you know, and, and eventually we'll get, we'll get there. We'll deal with it, but we've done a lot of that kind of work. Right. Um, so moving, kind of moving forward into, I want to kind of get into your books here a little bit. Um, okay. um, so apparent faith, uh, did you write, okay. First question, did you write all your books? Yes. after you left the church or were, were you starting to write these books while you're still preaching or as a pastor? It was not while I was still a pastor. I have a couple of books I wrote in 2000, a long time ago while I was a pastor, but I wouldn't yeah. even tell you what those are. <laughs> you can find them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to read them. Um, the, uh, but yeah, they, I started writing pretty soon after yeah, I stepped down as a pastor. It just helped me process. Yeah, because uh, apparent faith to me felt kind of like a memoir. Um, yeah. I mean, that kind of you know, just you kind of like kind of like describing your journey. Um, and I was talking with Nat about your three books that. Um, so I've read Apparent Faith. I've read The Tea Shop, and I'm about I'd say about three fourths of the way through um, Being. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I find what I found was really interesting to me is how it seems like every book. Kind of came from the, the previous book uh there's even a chapter in apparent faith called the tea shop correct that's right, right. and so then you kind of expanded on that idea and wrote the tea shop and then there's this idea of being that kind of comes up in the tea shop and then you mm -hmm. uh, expand on that in the book being yeah. um so yeah. was that was that intentional or did it just kind of flow as you were writing yeah, it was how it played out. So apparent faith is is the way I asked the questions. Right. It was a lot of me being a parent. And most of I think all of my kids were gone from the house by that time. So I'm reflecting on being a parent. When you consider something like uh, that God turns his back on you. Right. Mm. I, that's the thing I promised my kids I would never do. Yeah. I said, no matter what you do, you can still come home. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. Um, now, I'm considering is God retributive or is God restorative? Yeah, right. um, and it, you know, does he have a worse temper than I do? And, and my, now my conclusion, of course, is, is if God's God, then he can't be worse than me. You know, he can't, can't be less merciful than me. Um, and mercy is a whole nother subject. But um, so that that first book was just in light of being a parent, the way I saw my kids, the way I <clears throat> interacted with them um, helped me kind of take a fresh look at, at God. You know, yeah. could I send my kids to eternal conscious torment, you yeah. know, just because they disagreed with me or didn't buy into whatever I was telling them? Um, and so that while I was writing, um, or may, yeah, while I was writing Apparent Faith with the tea shop incident happened, which, like you said, is kind of connected to being because it, it opened up presence and authenticity to me. Right. 
but I couldn't write about uh, I, when I experienced the tea shop. I, I I told Laura what just happened afterwards. <laughs> it took me like like six months to sort through all all of those things that I learned in the tea shop. Yeah, and so then eventually I sat down and wrote that. It's a pretty short book, but it's there's a lot packed in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed the tea shop. It was I've read it a couple times actually. I, I really um, it, it spoke to me a lot. Um, yeah. I think you had a question now. Oh, I have lots of questions. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, I'm, I'm I'm nothing I'm nothing but questions. They might not be pertinent, but I have questions. That's all right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I want to get back to, at, I have this tendency to, um, to pick up on, I guess, on, on themes when I read through a manuscript, you know, and um, I really haven't had much time to spend with yours, but there were some things that jumped out um, that I said, okay, that I'm going back to that and I'm going back to that. And an area in my life, if I'm going to be vulnerable, and I will, because um, that's part of being authentic, right, is um, sure. Expose the soft underbelly, which, by the yeah. way, is quite soft. Um, um, I have deep-seated issues with rejection. Hmm. Not so much abandonment, um, but rejection. Mm-hmm. And I know they're two sides of the same coin, but I did like that in that it, it seemed like you contrast those somewhat. You yeah. know, um, For me, it was, um, I don't know where it came from even. I still to this day don't, I'm almost 50 and I don't know where, where it really comes from. Um, but there is this this thought in the back of my mind that the people closest to me aren't going to stay, um, mm-hmm. that I'm or that I'm a fraud or that I'm you know what I'm saying. Someone's just going to discover I don't know what the hell I'm actually doing. Yeah. Um, and then when inevitably people do reject me, there is this first initial thought of well, okay, see, right, right. Mm-hmm. They're just reassuring me or, or or reaffirming that ugly thought I had about myself. But I kind of wanted you to take if you could. I, I I liked the contrast, if there is one, between rejection and abandonment, or mm-hmm. and to what degree they maybe feed each other, but maybe mm-hmm. come from sort of different um, a different pathos or whatever. Yeah, I don't think my wife would mind me telling you this, but when um, her parents divorced, <clears throat> when she was about when she was a teenager, um, he came back. Her father came back into our life when we had our first child and then he disappeared Mm. and doesn't, doesn't contact or speak to her to that's abandonment. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, Rejection. I think like you say is, is complicated, right? Because in a way we, we sometimes you're right. I think we set ourselves up for rejection. Rejection worked really well for me as a church planner. Right. We never planted a church from scratch, but we went into like bad situations and resurrected that because um, I used that, that feeling of rejection. That's why I say sometimes in the first half of your life, some of these things can kind of work for you, you know, because we... A church planter of the year told me you need to just go into a place and become like them, you know. And so if they golfed, I golfed. If they hunted, I hunted. Um, but they never converted me to a Husker fan in Nebraska. Because <laughs> my hypocrisy only goes so far. <laughs> Amen and well played, sir. Yeah. So, 
Um, but well, then so I was building my authenticity, I guess. But <laughs> sure. I, I think what you, I think you hinted at something else, though, also about rejection is there's always something else underneath rejection. Right, for sure. And so rejection uh, came from my childhood. There were five kids, so you automatically got left out of some things. And I remember crying to my mother. I was the oldest child and telling her basically that she liked one child and dad liked another child and telling my brother, nobody likes us, you know. Right. And so I had those feelings yeah. early on. And, and um, that story was retold later, and my mom still took it lightly. You know, and <laughs> and it's not so, light, right? I mean, that was no, it's not. No, yeah. So um, you continue to when you feel those rejections, you you use that to your advantage. You set yourself up, like you said, and and it just kind of creates a circle. And and trauma, but trauma comes out of that, right? Right, right. And you keep being traumatized about that. The only way that I got beneath that to the real issues was through focusing. Um, and focusing is that it's just a real simple, uh, deep listening experience um, that Laura and I do now. Some of those spiritual directors did that with us to help us get down to those feelings, those those core emotions that are that you keep to, to hold that stuff until you can resolve it someday. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I did a very good job of explaining No, that's it. great. I, it, it, it reminds me though, that religion on its, on its worst day in its worst iterations, um, simply plays upon that fear. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes that initial fear. And I think everyone on the planet probably to some degree deals with fear of rejection. Um, but then we make, you know, we make the cosmic bargain, you know, if I do this, then God won't reject me. Right. You know, but if I, but if I mess it up, yeah. the fear is at, at, at the end of days or whatever, you know, what point God's patient runs out, God's patience runs out with me, yeah. this mercy that's forever and endures forever, apparently isn't according to some, right. and, and, the and then I will be yeah. sent with the goats and not the sheep and I will be rejected. And so it's, it's such a deep psychological trauma um, that Christian faith should obliterate. Mm. And yet it doesn't. No, It so often yeah. uses it to its own advantage to keep people in the fold and to keep people yeah. inside the four walls. Um, you don't want to be rejected at the end. You want to be found to be a good and faithful servant. Yeah. And uh, so much of what I do, um, in my in my expression of the local church is is aimed at demolishing that garbage. Yeah, it just it should faith should be a salve. You know, there should you should be. You should, I don't know. I used to walk away from sermons with people, and they go, "Man, I just wasn't that great. I just feel like the I just got my ass kicked by the pastor. Wasn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. He just stepped all over my toes and just beat yeah. me up, and wasn't that fantastic? And I'm like, no, I'm bloodied and bruised, and I'm hurting. Right. I, right. And then I go listen to somebody else, and I you know. I, I tell John all the time, I have certain sermons recorded. I go listen to because they just, God, they just, they're so full of hope and there's mm-hmm. so much joy in it and there's so much peace in it. Um, and it, 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 it causes me some pain. Cause I don't know why, I don't know why the Christian faith as a whole does not do more of that. 
Mm-hmm. And right. it breaks my heart that we have decided to traffic in fear yeah. rather than, than well, traffic I mean, in hope. And, but. Is, isn't it, I mean, again, me looking from the outside in, you know, being part of it, you know, I, I was part of it for quite a while, but it keeps butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps people mm-hmm. coming back. It keeps the coffers being filled. Uh, if right. you, if you give them that, that sense of doubt or fear that if they don't, if they don't do the right formula, they don't do the right things in the right order, that their eternal salvation is at in question. I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. rejection. I mean, is uh, being rejected by God is the ultimate rejection <laughs> that we could ever, yeah. we, and, and it's, I mean, we talk about PTSD or church PTSD, or, I mean, it is a factual, it, it is true. I mean, yeah. As a child, I sat in my room with a light on because I couldn't bear or couldn't handle being in the dark alone mm-hmm. for fear that I had forgot to pray for forgiveness mm-hmm. for a sin and yeah. the rapture was going to happen while I was asleep and I was going to wake <laughs> up and I was yeah. still going to be uh, here. There's, there's and, probably not a pastor in the world that that dreams about traumatizing people in fact their right. their objectives sure. are the opposite right you know you want to give people hope and things you talked about but but religion by just by definition starts with fear and right. the sermons we preached we didn't even re i don't think we even realized we're doing it as much as we were doing it but it was effective it was for right. the short right. term to, to present a problem that I solved in 22 minutes. Right. You know, plus you, you put next to that uh, a process that's addictive. You know, I'm going to be ushered into a climate-controlled environment. I'm going to be greeted warmly. I'm going to hear music that excites me. Who doesn't like to go to a concert? They right. get a mini-concert. every, And then, then when it's over on Monday... Um, there's the letdown and the pre-using until mm-hmm. I can go back again. And yeah, I mean, the the PTSD of deconstruction is exactly that. You know, what, if, sure. what if it starts with what if I'm wrong about my beliefs? Right. And then what if I'm wrong about my decision to deconstruct my beliefs? Right, yes. right. Yes. <laughs> and, um, Mich- you know, Michelle mentioned that fear of like, you know, well, what if God actually is a monster? Yeah. Like, what if he actually is the way that these people had, there was that, there is that, there are those moments of, oh man, you know, oh, mm-hmm. what if he is like, just yeah. like they told me he was, because yeah. I'm certainly screwed at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. at that point, I'm like, you know, just jump in with both feet, take your feet off yeah. the brake and just like, you know, yeah. just let it, let it go where it may. But, um, but talk about this thing of being, if you would, because um, I'll give you my 13 second take on it. And then I want you to expand. But my okay. thing is that I, I think the church is so the church is focused. And again, I, I keep saying this because I think it bears repeating I mean, the church writ large. Right. I mean, as an institution, which I think it should have never been, but um, has has focused 99.9 percent of its attention on behavior. They're way more concerned about your doing than they've ever been with your being. Mm-hmm. And they've presented a problem as if you want to become this, then you need to do this versus an awareness of your being. So I, I, I'm just curious if you take on that. What, how can we, um, how can we better just be 
and deal with that and let that inform the things that we do or don't do. Yeah. So, um, like I said, when I was in the tea shop, that's when I was kind of opened up to it and it, it got past my, what some people call your watchful dragons, mm-hmm. you know, you, you try to control situations and circumstances. Like when I go into Walmart, if uh, I can dodge the greeter, I won't have to talk to anybody human if I don't want to. Amen. <laughs> to the self-checkout. Yeah, and self-checkout the... <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I can look up products on the internet on my phone and they have placards and things that tell about everything and tell you what to buy and so on. But when that didn't happen in the tea shop, when we were starting to select what teapots we wanted, the guy said, sit down and offered us to sit down at the tea tea uh, table with him. And it's kind of a ceremony thing. They go through and he served us a meal and, and all of those things. And I looked over at my my wife and my son, and my wife and my son were engaged. They, they were present. And, and they were listening to him. And I said, well, I can't get out of this. I can't control this situation. So I'm. what if I were just here? Uh, I literally kind of thought that to myself. What if I were just here? So being, for me, in its simplest terms, involves the thing that I say all the time now is um, being where you are and being who you are. Hmm. Being where you are is presence and being who you are is authenticity. And both of those things were important in the tea shop. This guy was as authentic as I've ever, a person as I've ever met. And he was there. Uh, I, I use the words delighting he delighted in us and talked to uh, Chris Eaker and his friend, their spiritual directors the other day on a podcast. And I talked about, it was like a dance, you know, mm. some people still think of the Trinity as a, the perichoresis, the, the circle right. dance, right? Um, uh, that was kind of what it was like. Um, but being where you are, being who you are, to me is presence. And um, if I can, if I can just do those two things, um, then that's, that's vulnerable. That's, you, you mentioned vulnerability a while ago, it takes vulnerability, but being present, being authentic. Um, then I was looking at the chapters, the later, then you can get to the later chapters in the being book. But like we said before, you got to do the we got to do the work. We've, we've got to right, do right. the healing, healing work that gets in the way of those things that causes us to react to people and so on. And people ask me what my practices are now. Um, and I say my biggest practice is stillness. Mm. It's just being still. Uh, the, the practice of centering prayer where there's no expectations, sometimes no words, and just sitting uh, Brian Zahn calls it sitting with Jesus. Right. I call it just just being there. And that's that's my most cherished time. If my body wakes up at 4.30 in the morning now, and I don't know why, even on Saturday and even on Sunday. <laughs> but yep, if me my, too. If no one's up and the dog will leave me alone, then I can just be by myself. And that's the best thing. And it's so 
so counterintuitive to my my nature and kind of restless by nature. Mm. And I remember when I started learning Centering Prayer, um, my word, if you're familiar with that, Centering Prayer, you kind of choose a word. So when you, your mind starts racing, you say the word, my word right. was stillness. Be still. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't answer part of your question, but I forgot it about halfway. <laughs> That's okay. Well, it does. It does bring up uh, something I had kind of written down, um, and this has come up in a, at least one of our other interviews. Um, this idea of "be still" or the the, the verse, and you're going to have to help me now. I don't know where it is. The, the "be still and know" verse. It's in the Bible, John. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm joking. Um, so it's, I think the whole verse is be still and know that I am God, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, it brought up a question for me because it kind of, you, you, you mentioned this in the tea shop and then you mentioned it also in being, this idea of being still. Um, but what I found interesting that you did, and again, I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just kind of where you were at the moment. So in, uh, I believe it was in the tea shop where you talk, I think it's in the chapter Into the Mystic, um, okay. so the Van Morrison song, right? Uh, right? And you talk about this idea of sinking, you know, you mm-hmm. sinking into, uh, and then mm-hmm. in being, you, you use the same idea of be, you know, be still and know, but you talk about this idea of floating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find it really interesting that they, they seem like they should, they should contradict each other. That one's, you know, like if you're in a swimming pool, right, and you're and you're frantic and you and you and you're kind of losing control. If you become still, you you will float, and you will mm-hmm. become calm. Um, but then mm-hmm. there's this other idea of being still and then sinking into, you, know, you sink mm-hmm. into your pain, you sink yeah. into right. Um, I right. actually did um, a course online, it was about an eight week course, uh, trying to deal with my social anxieties. And mm-hmm. one of the lessons that they had me do, which was horrible, I, 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 mean, I, had, I didn't understand what he was having me do. And it was to pick, you know, because I have this habit of picking worst, making worst case scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, take one of your worst case scenarios, sit in it. Don't try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Don't try to correct it. Just yeah. be in it. Yeah. And it was horrible the first yeah. time I did it. Because yeah. you, you have to come into connection with yourself, right? And how does that make you feel? And how does your heart start to race? How does your yeah. you start to lose your breath? And yeah. then it, the, the result was this, for at least in this exercise, to show that that's all it is. It's just you yeah. creating all the stress, all this inability mm-hmm. to correct it. So yeah. I guess the question I have for you is, was it intentional? this idea in these two books to have one with the sinking and then one with the floating, if that even made sense. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, the, the sinking comes from the actual Hebrew word and it was from, um, Glennon Doyle or whatever name, the untamed lady Uh wrote the book untamed. Um, she mentioned that, you know, sinking, uh, as part of that the verse in Psalms, and it's actually uh, part of the Hebrew definition of that word to sink down. But I, I think you find those things, um, those handles to put on things when you're um, trying to relate 
to that part of you that, like you just mentioned, you don't want to face. Um, We've learned recently through my friend, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, that um, it's it's important to have, um, first of all, to say a part of me, not all of me. Um, A part of me feels angry instead of I'm angry. Because right. it's okay. not all yeah. of you that's angry, it's a part of you. It's probably a wounded part of you. And when we can say a part of me feels angry, then we can, like you said, set with it and be with it. And and it is painful sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's alarming sometimes, you know, those kind of things. But like Gimlin said, when it when you when you when it's felt, then it changes. And, and it doesn't go away, but it shifts inside you to where now when something triggers that, it may cause you to react instead of, or to respond instead of react. Right. And so um, that's better. But the other thing my friend taught me that's in relation to this is when you set with those things, the, probably the most important thing you could feel for them is compassion. Uh, part of that may be your inner child and part of it may be your inner critic, but we have to have compassion for both of them. Yeah. Uh, that inner critic, whoever it represents, was trying to protect you at one time, and that's why that voice was put there. Right. And, and we have to have compassion for them, even though we might have to say to that inner critic, I, I need you to chill out right, right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And we, I need to have I need to focus on this part of me that feels sad and this part of me that feels angry. Yeah. And, and when you can do that, when you can have compassion um, for that, they call it a felt sense. Yeah. Um, for that felt sense, when you can have compassion for that, um, then um, it really changes. Uh, I'm talking that my wife and I have 32 years. We're, we're really, I think, getting into the good work now of, of healing, finally. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, 50, I'm 56, so it's yeah. about time. It's <laughs> a shaming statement. Right? That's awesome. What, I, it, I, I saw Paul's name as I was flipping through your, through your book, and uh, yeah. um, I, I met Paul, yeah. I guess, about three or four years ago now at a uh, – there was – um, the Crucified God Conference was in Kansas City or mm. around uh, around that area, yeah. and Paul was there um, doing some breakout sessions and things. And but um, I just I don't even know why I brought him up other than I saw it and I was like, "Ooh, Paul!" <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. "Man, I love that guy. What a what a cool guy." Um, what's man. your connection to him? Y'all just y'all know each other through church or yeah, about uh, 20, 20 to twenty five years ago, um, we went through the program called Breakthrough that he hosts. Right. right when in, in towards the beginning of when it started and then we went through it again but he's he's since then just popped back up into my life about the right time I needed him yeah and as I was starting through my deconstruction all of a sudden there he was again <laughs> right know? right and nah. he's he's just a really close friend and now with you know him a lot of the people in in the breakthrough community, um, have learned focusing and and are, are working with doing the shadow work and so on. And he's 
he's since went back to school, so to speak. Right. Um, and and he's he's kind of uh, fine tuned the focusing process to where it's really really effective. So hmm. spending as much time as I can with him because uh, you know it's pretty healthy, but he's seventy something years old and. Sure. Yeah. Soak yeah. it up while you can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's cool. That's a, I love it. I, I go back to that be still and no thing. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was that said it, but they had turned that into a centering prayer, you know, mm-hmm. where they had taken that, that verse apart. Yeah. And I think we talked about this with Kyle yesterday or the day before, but um, mm-hmm. Kyle Butler, but um, where they had started just sort of repeating this, be still and know that I'm God. And then it was be still and know that I am. Mm-hmm. And then it was just be still and know. Yeah. And they kept shortening it until they got to be. Yeah. I think that's Richard. And then they repeated it again. Yeah. Might be, you know what? It sounds very Richard Wardian. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, but it was useful, you know, because I liked it. For me, there was that sense of, again, I'm still trying to, I'm trying to wrap my head around um, practically what that looks like. You know what I mean? Where you actually, mm-hmm. um, because I think for most of us um, being fully present, um, I think it's just not something we're taught. It's not something that we're taught to value. It's not something that we're taught to even pursue. Um, we're so busy being busy about the, the, the business of life. Yeah. And then, um, at some point, um, I don't know, I, I, I had, I became a grandparent six years ago. And, uh, so I have a six year old and a three year old grandson and, I wish I had been as present with my children as I am with my grandchildren. Yeah, for sure. Because when they want to do something, by God, we stop what we're doing and we do that thing, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, because yeah. I'm not, I'm not as concerned about the hustle and bustle. And I don't really care if the laundry doesn't get done. And I don't really care if the, you know, the car gets, doesn't yeah. get washed. I, we're playing Legos right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're doing. Um, right. And there is just a sense of, you know, and this comes with age as you and I both know that there's, you know, I think you become um, really aware of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, and then you, you, you get a chance to do some of that stuff over again. Like, and I, I would go back in a heartbeat and relive some of those times with my children. Um, and I get to do that with their kids. But yeah. um, I just, man, I, I, uh, I can't wait to read more of this. Uh, I love what you said about, um, uh, you mentioned the sacredness of other people's stories. And that, that really kind of, that hit me. Um, what do you think the role of, of stories is for each of us? You know, what, what's the importance of that? Yeah. I, um, I'm trying to remember what I wrote (laughs) that, you know, that all of course originates from, um, Paul Young. Paul's kind of become a friend of mine. Um, and he endorsed the being book. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, myth and story, um, is something we, we all use to communicate, but we don't, we don't appreciate it or understand it like we should. Um, I think, um, when you, uh, here's where it became real for me recently, so I've written all these books about my life, my deconstruction and so on. And I, I listened to a 
author online talk about writing a novel. And he said he wrote a thousand words a day, which sounds like a lot. It's really like four pages. And he said, then in a couple of months, you'll have 60,000 words. And so I sat down and um, this winter, I was kind of waiting on a job and it's winter. There's nothing else to do and it's COVID (laughs) and all that stuff. And so I started writing. There was a there was a hotel um, downtown here that's supposedly haunted, and it's also um, um, there, there's rumors of tunnels underneath the town from prohibition and some things like that. So it's a really interesting story behind the hotel. But you go to the library and try to research it, and you can't. Um, there's like an unusual absence of history mm. about this hotel. It's been here for a hundred years and it supposedly was like the best thing for a hundred miles before the interstate, you know, took the right. traffic somewhere else. And and so it was a really interesting story, but I, I used that as a model and then kind of started writing about sort of about myself, you know, use myself as the, the one that was trying to figure out about it, which I was kind of trying to research it and so on. And then began to, to ju- just invent this story. There's very little facts. There. And I started writing the story. Well, Paul Young said, just get in the river and start paddling and see what happens. Right, for sure. Right. And in 45 days, I'd written 75,000 words. And um, it, it was a story that went back to the roaring twenties and in the thirties and depression and prohibition and all that stuff at that hotel. But then also in in this guy's life where he's trying to uncover all these secrets and, and then all the secrets kind of come back together. In the meantime, all of the characters deal with their trauma, (laughs) you know, and deal with their inner secrets and, and I realized how much of that that novel that's supposed to be fiction was about me, mm, uh, and right. it's about my inner thoughts. And but those those kind of things, I say I write um, to know what I think. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I write to know what I think, and and there's I think just like shadow, you know, that that stuff is within us. And telling telling our story um, is sacred because those things come out yeah, right. in the story right. as we're telling it. And just just sharing my story today, I think has has been it's been meaningful oh, because, yeah. because I, I get to verbalize what's what's inside me and so on. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, I can yeah. I can Good definitely job. relate. I mean. Um, when I chose, when I decided to write my blog, uh, that I um, that I, I spent a year writing, um, I had a I had a very basic idea of where my story was going. I knew that I needed a character who was alone, without any kind of any kind of connection to people, and then he could have a conversation with God. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was basically the starting point, and then I just wrote. And it just came out, like you said. Yeah. It's just I wrote down to find out what I thought about, oh. and it was—I mean, it 
it's a fictionalized character. A lot of things are not similar to me, but it is my story. Right. 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 And so I can, I can completely relate to that. So I think about the kingdom of heaven is within you. Hmm. Jesus supposedly said that. And um, I think about that statement all the time. Yeah. Um, And we wrestle around with it theologically. Um, This may sound weird, but when I, (laughs) when I, uh, I hope so. Yeah. When we were, we we were sprouting, we, um, we like to eat sprouts. We're, we kind of, we, we kind of plant-based the way we eat, but so we grow sprouts and you put some seeds in a, in a jar, you get them wet is basically all you do to them. Soak them overnight, drain all the water off, rinse them off. And then the next day, you just keep them wet. You get them wet and dump the water out and keep it wet for three or four days. And in three or four days, that broccoli seed turns into a broccoli plant. Hmm. And all of the, the, um, all of the knowledge of how to build a plant is inside that seed. Yeah. Right. Plus some of the nutrition. All, like I said, all I do is add water. Right. And you keep it in the dark. You don't even need sunlight to grow it up into a little plant. Eventually it needs sunlight. Right. Yeah. So you set it up in the window after it gets, gets that big and, and it starts to grow leaves and eventually to produce broccoli seeds. And, and all of that is inside there. You right. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah, we've yeah. been looking. We've been looking for God out there. Out there, right? Where, and 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 He's bigger, you know, big, grandiose. But, um, but the, Jesus made that statement: the kingdom of heaven is within you. Right, right. And so, I think that that's that also is involved when you tell your story that there's there's something deeply sacred about it yeah and it's so hard to explain it's so hard <laughs> to articulate but it's i don't know if you read rob bell's book or you like him but his new book it talks like that all the way through it's bigger than we imagined it's oh yeah no. connected than we imagined and he talks like that through the whole book and you're like what are you talking about but then <laughs> That's that's how I feel nowadays when I yeah. contemplate the things of God or what I believe. It's like bigger and more open and more um, hard to explain. Right, right. Than it ever was before. When it, when I could draw a little box around it, draw a circle around it. And say, and yeah, that's it, right? That's it, and I defend it. And then the church down the street's defending a different set, but similar right. to mine, you know. It was easier then, but there was also way more fear. Now there's, there's no fear. There's not any certainty. Um, but I feel like I'm, I don't even use the word reconstructing anymore. I use the word evolving. I think right, we're just growing. Hopefully, well, so much of what we talk about when we when we use those words with like deconstruction, reconstruction, um, lends itself to thinking this is a linear process mm-hmm. and we're simply checking boxes off and okay now i've deconstructed now i've reconstructed and i whoo where's my badge right. you know i get yeah, to check right. the box off never mind the fact that there were things that never got deconstructed in the first place right. and we have to go right. back 
Um, but so much of what we talked about with, um, with Kyle yesterday was really about this. Um, when he tells people that they're divine and, and, and there's this recoil, you know, there's this, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa. When I'm just a bag of dirt, you know, <laughs> so I've been yeah. handed down this, um, this piece of shit theology that says you are nothing but a low down turd. And yeah. maybe if you do the right things and maybe if you toe the line and maybe if you say the right words, maybe then God will deign to let you reconnect. And I know um, even in my, even in the church traditions that I grew up that weren't that dogmatic, there was still the underlying message was um, somehow or other we had disconnected from God and we needed to reconnect. And God had either turned his back on us or we'd turned our backs on God and he'd returned the favor. Um, And then you read something like the kingdom of heaven is within you. Or we read where Paul has has told us that we are partakers in the divine nature, and we we wrestle. I so one of the one of the primary pieces of things that I deconstructed was this idea of separateness. Yeah, like like how how could that possibly be? Right. Like how how in the world is it possible that I had the power to decon? I had I could disconnect myself from the one who who made me, from the God that we all claim not only made but sustains the world and the universe and everything in it. Yeah. And yet somehow I've managed to carve out my own little place over here where I am and he's not. Right. And so the first thing that had to go was, okay, anything that smacks of separation is a lie. There, yeah. there, there can't have been. Right. Uh, Paul says we were separated from him in our minds anyway. So it was always ever mental gymnastics. Yeah. But um, can, I, can I say by way of testimony about that kind of stuff too, that, you know, there's a lot of talk of a slippery slope or your, your life's going to go to hell, you're going to, you know, evil is just going to rush in and take over your life. Right. And no. all of those fears that are instituted in religion, I just want to say as a matter of testimony that none of that happened. No. There, uh-huh. there was some PTSD, like we've been talking sure. about. Sure, sure. Right. talking about here yeah. because of how religion is. Right, <laughs> but, right, yeah. But what I found on the outside... Now I have lots of unanswered questions. I have, oh, for sure. There's, but I didn't slide down a slippery slope. My life didn't go to hell. I, you know, I, I'm not evil. You know, I might not be doing everything exactly like some church people would like me to, or religious people would like me to. But um, my life is good, and it's way right, better. Right. Yeah. And, and the discoveries <laughs> well, I'm making are are life changing and, and healing and uh you know i just didn't find it and unless yeah. the slope was just that much fun I'm, i mean I'm <laughs> on the i always I, I always wonder about people who um and this i i've heard exactly the same thing so i, I totally resonate with this but you know I, I i always marvel at people who who sound like man if it wasn't for god or religion or whatever man, I would just spiral out of control. The only thing constraining me from murdering my neighbor is the Ten Commandments. Mm. If it weren't for that thing, though, man, I'd be on a killing spree. You know, mm. and I, I can't remember what atheist it was. One of my favorite atheists probably, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But it was like, basically what you're saying is without a moral code, you just go rape and pillage all that you want. And he's like, I do. I do rape and pillage all I want. And I want to none. Mm. So I don't, there's, there's nothing in me that needs an external... Yeah rule set to tell me that I shouldn't harm my neighbor, you know? Um, 
and to the degree that we think we need to be constantly constrained, um, I feel like we buck against that more. I, I don't even think about, honestly, the, the word sin doesn't even really cross my mind anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm not living some debaucherous life, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out watching right. Netflix and writing books. So, um, <laughs> so um, it's, uh, but I think it all goes back to that thing of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all ties into this, you know, where yeah. we at some place, at some point, finally, we we understand that simply to be present is enough. And that begins to inform the things and the choices that we make and we don't make and the ways in which we don't want to hurt people and we want to love our neighbors. And um, it all comes out of that wellspring of like, listen, I'm finally OK with me. Yeah, I remember. And therefore yeah. I can be OK. I remember the other part of your question. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about being, you're talking about doing. So, right, right. So in the, the scripture says, you know, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Sure. Um, and so that that worked out good with the way I was raised because I learned at an early age to work hard and to get my identity from that. That's where I could find acceptance. And right. Use that you know, the rejection thing we talked about to go, just put me in at an entry level. I'll show you, you know, all mm-hmm. hard. and so, so not just hearing, but doing became, you know, and, and in church, we use that, you know, we preach from that and then point to the sign up sheet at the back of the right. lobby yeah. right after. By the way, now we need nursery workers. Yeah. And so, it, you know, you know, human beings, we, we, we like taking on a little guilt every once in a while and that works well. And so we just, it's not necessarily even that our doctrines say um, are that legalistic, but it, it just kind of works with our personalities to say, I yeah. should be doing more. And sure. if I'm not, I'm not doing something then I'm not effective. Right. Um, but maybe what really matters is uh, being present being authentic. Yeah. Um, like you said, sinking down um, to where Jesus said the kingdom of God is. So, right. You know, yeah. And, and maybe, and maybe what matters in the, in the final analysis is um, that we are supposed to do things, mm-hmm. you know, but the motivation behind those, you know, yeah. it's like, is that, is my impetus to act and to do, coming out is a natural outgrowth of a sense of who I am. Mm-hmm. And now I, and now I act on that. You know, I, 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 I conduct myself differently in the world when I know this about me versus yeah. if I do this and if I do this and if I do, then I can, man, I can, I can, I can ascend to the next level mm-hmm. and then God's really going to like me then. And then, yeah. you know, maybe I'll get a sevenfold or maybe a tenfold return on my tithe instead of just a sevenfold. And, you know, but there's so much of this, and you, you've said it a couple of times and you're hundred percent right that I don't think anybody sits down and explicitly says, man, I can't wait to go and fleece the flock this week. Right. You know, right. Right. Most of this is not as overt as I've made it sound. It's, but there, but you can't miss the implication of it. Right. That's the right. Subtle insidious. In fact, that's probably worse because it is so subtle. It is so insidious that we can couch it in very spiritual terms and think, Oh no, I'm just doing my bit for the kingdom, man. And slowly but surely you're dying on the inside and you're withering away and you're, whatever sense you have of yourself is being stripped away yeah. because you want to, you know, 
fit a mold. So I, I, I think your voice, by the way, is, is necessary. And I think what you have to say is poignant and timely. And, um, I, man, I just, I'm so glad that you're, that you took the time to talk to us today. Yeah. It, it's been super awesome. Anytime. How's that for verbose, John? Super awesome. Super awesome. Well, has it been um, super awesome? It's yeah, been super awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would love to continue talking for ages, but, um, I'm sure we need to cut this short or you said you got to go take out the trash, man. Don't, yes, don't, don't do. act like you got yes. important. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. It's, it's important. It's important. It's important yeah. that he gets uh, up yeah. the hill. John lives out in the middle of nowheresville, man. If he yes. misses the trash guy, it's, it's going to get bad yeah. for the next yeah. week. So, yeah. Yeah. so, um, <laughs> I'll, you know, um, thank you. Thank you yeah, very much, sure. Carl, for uh, joining us today. Um, yeah. just want to make sure everyone has a way to connect with you. Um, so I'm assuming you have most of the social media connections. Uh, people want to get in touch with you. Yeah, probably the best thing is is Carl with the K forehand, like in tennis. Um, yeah. dot com. Okay. That's, that's kind of my new place, and it it points to everything else. Right. There's there's right. a website called thedesertsanctuary.org, but you can't share it on Facebook for some reason. And um, so, so uh, <laughs> my blog is my blog is on Patheos. It's called the Desert Sanctuary. There's a Facebook right. group called the Desert Sanctuary. Um, but that CarlForehand.com will have you know about my books and things like that too. Okay, so That's well, great. we'll definitely That's add great. links to to that for you. And, and your uh, books are obviously available Amazon, the usual places, right? Yeah, the first two are at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. All the, I mean, eventually they get to like Target and Walmart.com and awesome. and all okay. that stuff. So, yeah, but the, right, so go buy the books, man. The new one will be out in in April, and I'm just waiting, like any day, literally, to get the cover and the date. So I can that's awesome. Start, man, I'm excited start for bothering you. Bothering people with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well again, I can't uh, wait to get the copy. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And again, just thank you very much for coming on with us today. And uh, um, just know that we love you, brother, and we just love everything that you're doing. Yeah. Love you guys too. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. All right.